The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. The Jets hostage like, like, like Aaron Rodgers. Well, Brett Favre, I mean, uh, let's go back to the summer of uh, 2008. And that really went on for about three weeks. It started in mid to late July and uh, went right through to, I think, August 7th might have been the day that that trade happened. And so that, that was uh, nonstop uh, Brett Favre. You know, and it was a little different then. It was pre-Twitter, so different, different feel to it. But it was hmm. uh, it was just as intense. So I would say, and also the Parcells thing is, is a great one. I mentioned that recently on Twitter because that was like a hostage situation for about a month. <laughs> yeah. It was. Yeah. It, it definitely was. It definitely was. All right, Rich, what's the latest as far as compensation is concerned? What do we know? Well, as far as I know, I, you know, the first-round pick is, is kind of the big sticking point. The, the Packers want it. The Jets, understandably, don't want to give it up. Uh, it's the 13th pick, so we're not talking about a bottom-of-the-round pick. And it's a really good pick. And, you know, the Jets' feeling there is that he's 39 years old. You know, we're talking about a player who may play only a year or two. How do you give up a first-round pick if he decides to retire in a year? I, I don't think that's good business. I think Joe Douglas probably agrees with that. And so they're going to have to get really creative in, in a way to come up with something that appeases both sides. I talked to some people around the league. You know, they think this, you know, this will happen. It's just a matter of when, and it's just a matter of the two sides finding some common ground. I suspect there'll be some conditional picks involved that protects the, uh, the Packers. Uh, also could be some players involved. It's going to be a highly – I'm sure Joe, when they when this thing happens and Joe Douglas has a press conference, I'm sure he's going to say this is probably the most, you know, labor intensive and complicated deal he's ever done because you also have uh, Rogers' contract, which is also uh, the Jets are trying to renegotiate as well. I mean, Rich, it's it's a lot, and it, it's fascinating. One of the chances that the Jets will will really try to lock in, and I and I just have a feeling we're going to be doing this again next year. To be honest with you. But what are the chances that the Jets are really going to, to try to lock in the second year for Aaron Rodgers? I mean, it, it, even if you don't give up a first-round draft choice, Rich, you don't want to just rent him for one year. You, your team is good, but they're not that good that you only get Aaron Rodgers for a year and you'll be okay. Yeah, no, that's a valid point. Uh, you know, look, the guy can – he's a different guy. I mean, you, you, we all heard the interview on Wednesday. He said he was 90% retired. Yeah. before he went into the darkness. And mind you, he's got $60 million coming to him. So he was basically saying he was on the verge of walking away from $60 million. So I don't even know if the Jets could create a financial inducement that would keep him for the 24th season. I was just going to say, well, maybe they could you know, put a lot of money in the second year of the contract. That way he has to come back. Well, he was just about to walk away from 60 mil. So I'm not sure the Jets can do anything. I think Rodgers will probably say that he's going to take it one year at a time and, and to see how he enjoys it in New York, how he acclimates, how the team does. There's risk, Larry. There's no, there's no doubt about it. There's risk involved for both sides, and so that's what makes this so fascinating. And, Rich, you've heard the same thing I've heard over the years, that when the players – when they play a talks retirement, sometimes they're really retired <laughs> mentally. And when somebody tells you 90%, Rich, that, that's, that's kind of dangerous. It's, listen, that's not what I want to hear if I'm Joe Douglas. <laughs> yeah, that one surprised me a little bit. You know, uh, at least he's being transparent, you know, yeah. I guess. So, 
so we're to believe that he goes into the darkness thinking he's 90% retired. He obviously doesn't have any phones or any electronic equipment with him, so he, don't know, he doesn't know what's going on. He comes out of the darkness, checks his phone, and now he's being told that the Packers are shopping him around the league, and all of a sudden he wants to play again. So obviously he's doing it out of spite. You know, it's like a spite tour against the Packers. That's the reason he wants to play. And is that troubling? I don't know. A lot of athletes are motivated by spite and revenge. So if, if that's what gets his fire going, then fine. You know, it's at least it's something to get it going. Uh, sure, there's concern, uh, but maybe he can use it as motivation as well. Last point on Rodgers before we move to other things with the Jets. Um, let's go back to Brett Favre for a second, Rich. Do you think uh, there was some speculation that Favre would be kind of, especially under Eric Mancini, who was the head coach there, we remember how he ruled with an iron hand as far as players' relationship with the media was concerned. There was some speculation that said, well, we wonder how Favre is going to deal with this. And I thought Brett Favre was very good with the media, very open. You know, he was really good. What is your sense from talking to folks around the league and, and other people about how Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to deal with the vaunted New York media, Rich, what, what do you think he's, what do you expect from him? What do you expect that, that, that the Wednesday is going to be like every week? Well, yeah, I don't know if it'll be like Tuesdays because we'll probably do McAfee. That won't be with the New York media, but it'll, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. it'll be something that the New York media covers for sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it's two different personalities. You know, the situations are very similar, but we're talking two different personalities. Brett, I honestly think Brett didn't give a damn what anybody said about him. You know, he would just sit down. He would do his media. He had that disarming country charm, um, self-deprecating. You know, he wore the same clothes every day. I think he wore camouflage shorts and an old ratty T-shirt every day. He was just that kind of guy. Whereas Rogers clearly is very in tune what people are saying about him. I mean, you could just get that sense from, you know, calling out Adam Schefter and Diana Rossini on, on really for no reason at all for just doing their jobs basically on the, uh, on the McAfee show. So he clearly is thin skinned and if things don't go well on the field for him in New York, that could be a problem. You know, I, I don't think we're the big bad New York media. I just think we ask the right questions and, and the tough questions. So if he performs on the field, there won't be any problem at all. But if he's that um, vulnerable to, what people are saying about him, then, you know, it does, it does raise the antenna a little bit. Yeah. I, it, I think it's going to be interesting, you know, and, and once again, yeah. Rich, as long as he plays well, everything is going to be great. Even from a fan standpoint, Yeah, he's not going to have to worry about anything, but it, I just yeah. find it, you know, with his, you know, how sensitive he is, it, 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 it could be interesting. Let's put it that way. It could be interesting. Yeah. He's a very bright guy. And I think he's very calm. Says and and so I, it depends how it goes. Like you said, it depends how he goes on the field. Uh, if he plays well on the field, no one's going to care what he says in these press conferences. People won't care if he goes on these holistic spa retreats and you know drinks like you know whatever you know this crazy you know psychedelic stuff. People won't care at all as long as he, as long as he produces on the field. 
Ritzamini is my guest. You listen to the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. All right, Ritz, let's talk about something else other than Aaron Rodgers with the Jets. Let's talk about this offensive line situation. The Jets have made, made a couple of moves with it uh, in uh, getting Schweitzer. What is your sense uh, from what you're hearing? I mean, I, I'm seeing Makai Becton all over Twitter, Ritz. I mean, I'm seeing this 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 svelte body. I'm seeing, you know, the advertisement that he's he's looking good and everything. Um Break down the offensive line situation for me for this team because that, that's a major thing that's got to be straightened out. Yeah, Makai is looking good. He, he almost he, – he keeps losing weight. He can play tight end. You know, he's really uh, – he's down at like 360, which is like right around what he was coming out of, at a, out of the combine, you know, a few years ago. So that's really encouraging. So what the Jets have done in free agency, you mentioned Schweitzer. They also signed Kristen um, Cologne from baltimore so basically those are your new nate herbig and your dan feeney that those they slide right into those two guys spots those two guys left for other teams uh they still have not replaced connor mcgovern Um, ben jones from tennessee quite obviously is a candidate because he played for keith carter the new offensive line coach in tennessee older player uh 34 i think he's going to be this season coming off a down year had some concussion issues last year, so that's a concern, but I could see that deal getting done. He'd probably be your one-year stopgap at center, and they would supplement that with a second-day draft pick at center, you know, a second- or third-round center um, to come in there and eventually take over. So that, that's what they're doing on the offensive line. You know, tackle is still a big need. You know, um, Beckton and, and you have a right tackle, and Dwayne Brown at left tackle, I totally think, at some play with the 13th pick in the draft, assuming the Jets still have the 13th pick in the draft. Uh-huh. Uh, I think offensive tackle, definitely uh, a possibility there. All right, let's go on the other side. Well, before I leave, um, what, what are indications, what is your reporting telling you about Brees Hall? Is he, do you think, how, what, how much of last year's Brees Hall can we expect to see this year, Rich, considering the injury he had? Yeah, there's no way to predict that. Every every running back is different. I mean, you saw Saquon Barkley. It took him mm-hmm. about a year before he was back to his old self. And uh, and then you see guys like Adrian Peterson going back a few years who come back <laughs> off the surgery and, and, and they're at the top of their game. So it's really an individual type thing. The Jets are very encouraged with the way he's progressing. Uh, but you just never know until he's in contact. I don't think – I'd be surprised if we see him in training camp. Uh, I, I think it'll probably be something they build up toward the regular season. Uh, they say he'll be ready for the season, and so we'll see. I, I think they need another running back. I, I think mm. they'll probably look to bring back either Ty Johnson or find a veteran guy because uh, you need a little bit more depth there at that running back position. Uh, Lazard is in. Does that mean Davis is out? Well, it certainly appears that way. Uh, you know, no surprise. You know, he's He's got a high cap number this year. They can save ten and a half by moving on from him. I would not be shocked if his name is coming up in trade talks with the Packers. I, I know for a fact that uh, Matt Lafleur has has a high regard for Corey Davis. They actually were together for a year in Tennessee, hmm. and uh, I think Lafleur has had his eye on Davis for a little over a year. And the Jets have held on to him quite obviously. He's been injury you know, plagued the last couple of years with the Jets and has not been able to live up to that contract. So I could see uh, the Jets moving on from him. Um, You know, and they are interested in Odell Beckham, oh, by the way. I know. So I'm really 
here, and I think Dallas is probably out of that mix now that they made that Brandon Cooks trade today. So uh, I think it might be Jets, Ravens, Chiefs, maybe the Bills also in there for Odell. So that'll be something to keep an eye on as well. Uh, Rich, for the next couple of minutes, let's go on the defensive side of the ball. I know that um, they made some moves on the defense, uh, but I'm curious about Quentin Williams. The, it, will they do anything before they figure this uh, Aaron Rodgers stuff out, or are they too related in that sense, or are they just going to say, well, we'll play it and we could do something during the season? Yeah, the, the Quentin thing is really not on the front burner right now. I mean, the Rodgers thing is because of some obvious deadlines coming up and, you know, offseason program, April 17th, the draft. Certainly you would expect this to get wrapped up by then. So that's the more pressing issue. Um, Quentin might have a different opinion of that because he did say at the end of the year that he, he wants an extension by the start of the offseason program. Otherwise, he's not going to show up. Look, it's voluntary. It's not the end of the world. If your best player is not in the offseason program, uh, he's a hard worker. You know, there's really no doubt. You know, it's not like he's going to slack off on his own or anything like that. So uh, I don't think that deal is going to get done by then. I really don't. I think the Jets will probably uh, start after. You know, they talked. They've negotiated. They, they negotiated at the con- combine. Joe Douglas painted a very optimistic picture. Uh, I don't think it's as far as along as he made it seem like. They they got a long way to go on this contract and. I think it could be one of those that, uh, on, you know, on July 20th, you know, as they're getting ready to reporting to training camp, the two sides will be, uh, you know, locked in some serious negotiations. I think it'll be one of those type deals. All right. That sounds good. Um, during this second week, other than possibly a reserve center, what do you see the Jets doing free agent-wise? Well, uh, you know, I Ben Jones, I think, would be their starting center. So I think if they get that done, you know, that would check something off on the checklist. Uh, Defensively, this team is is hurting right now at defensive tackle. You know, they lost Sheldon Rankin to Mm -hmm. Houston. And, uh, you know, they brought back Solomon Thomas. He's just a backup. They lost Nathan Shepard. He he was a backup for the Jets, but it looks like he's going to be a starter for the Saints. He got a really good contract. So they, right now they have Quentin Williams and Solomon Thomas and Panzel Smart at defensive tackle. So they're about three guys short of being where they want to be. It's obviously a draft need for them. Uh, they did put in a, a pretty good offer for Fletcher Cox. He decided to stay in Philadelphia, you know, one year, $10 million. actually took a little less to stay. And uh, so the thing is there's just not many defensive tackles out there. The name I would watch, uh, Calais Campbell, is an interesting name. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously mm-hmm. a well, highly regarded player, uh, 35, 36 years old, but still productive last year. Played, I think, 600-something snaps, had five sacks. He can still play. So, I, you know, I would not be surprised if the Jets were interested in Calais Campbell. and But they still need more at defensive tackle. So that's another position to watch. And uh, Quan Alexander is still out there. I think the Jets would like to have him back. Money's the issue right now. And, uh, and, you know, the Beckham thing, just that's another thing to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, that depth, especially up front for the Jets defensively, was one of the keys as to why they, they were ranked so high, Rich, because of their ability to rest them and keep, the, keep them fresh during, the, during all the time they were on the field, especially with how poor the offense was. <laughs> yeah, they, they, you know, there were games where they had nine, nine guys addressed on the defensive line. I think there might have been one game where they had 10. So, you know, obviously they have good depth at tackle, I mean defensive ends, but, uh, you know, Lawson is one to watch. 
Uh, I don't think his roster spot is, is etched in stone just yet, so that's something to keep an eye on. But they have Jermaine Johnson, they have Michael Clemens, they have JFM, who will be back. Uh, they have Bryce Huff, who they gave a high tender to, so obviously they're, they're high on him. So they have really good depth at defensive end, but defensive tackle is the spot where they're hurting. Rich, keep up the great work as always. We'll be following you with the Aaron Rodgers watch. All right, that Larry. All right, take care. Thanks, Rich. 1-800-919-3776. All right, we've had a bunch of guests. Now it's just you and I until Rangers Predators at 6 o'clock, at 6.30 rather, 6.30 pregame on 98.7 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, good afternoon, Larry. How you doing today? I'm doing good, my friend. What's happening? I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, let's talk some jet football this afternoon. Um mm-hmm. I want to go back in time when Tom Brady first got to Tampa. One of the first things they did is they drafted Tristan Wirtz, uh-huh. a big, strong left tackle to cover Brady's blind side. And I think Joe Douglas and his staff need to follow that same blueprint. When I look at the NFL, Larry, games are won and lost in the trenches. Let's face it. You've got to have a strong, dominant offensive and defensive line to uh, impose their will and take over the game and, and set the tempo each and every week, every Sunday throughout the season going forward if you really want to win big in this league. And if I'm the Jets and Joe Douglas, I'm drafting tackle and center with my first two picks in this upcoming draft. And you mentioned with uh, Rich Samini, you got to address that uh, defensive line as well because I saw a lot of games last year where that defensive line got gashed for big runs and uh, – Poor tackling as well once they got past that initial surge on the line. And they got to get some run stuffers in there and uh, get some beef on that defensive line as well. And, uh, you know, if you want this Aaron Rodgers thing to really hit and work, you got to keep them upright. You got to keep them fresh. You got to keep them healthy. And the best way to do that is to really fortify that offensive line and put some real massive men on that line that have a nasty edge to them and that are going to be determined to keep him clean and make him most effective for this franchise going forward this year to make this really work in its totality. You're absolutely right, John. Thanks for the phone call. I agree a thousand percent. And that's what the Jets want to do. And I think that's what they would do with the offensive line with their 15th pick. Uh, That's why they really don't want to give that first round pick to Green Bay for Aaron Rodgers, because they understand they have a need on the offensive line. And it's clear that they do. The other thing is, uh, as Rich and I were talking about, as you mentioned, John, is they need some help on the defensive line as well, especially at the tackle position. The ends, they're in decent shape, but they have an issue at tackle and they have an issue stopping the run. And while they were very good defense last year, there's no question there was a marked improvement from the 21 season. There's no, no question. I mean, that defense was abysmal. In the 2021, in the 2021 season, last year they were a thousand times better, a thousand times better. But late in the season, they couldn't get off the field, and especially on third down, they couldn't get off the field. And what they did was not only on third down, but the reason why they had trouble on third down was because they were reckless in some of the things that you mentioned with the poor tackling on first and second down. So the third down was third down and less than three sometimes. It was third and very manageable where you could not dictate what the third down play was going to be defensively. They could run it. They could do anything. They could run. They could, they could pass. They could 
they, they could do anything they wanted because it was down and distance friendly enough that if they didn't make it, they could do it on fourth down. So, no, they have to do a better job at uh, running, at, at protecting the run, defending the run, and also pre- pressuring the quarterback. They did a decent job pressuring the quarterback, but they have to do better. If this, if you want to call this a Super Bowl defense, and let's be fair, it was a very good defense. It did not look like the Niners, <laughs> okay? But you could argue it doesn't have to look like the Niners because Kansas City's defense didn't look like the Niners either. But their offense was good enough that they put them in situations where you're always playing catch-up and you're trying to pass the ball so often that the defense just, they just play a bend but don't break defense and they tighten up when they get in when you get into their red zone. So, you know, the Jets have to make a decision where they're going to be. You would think that they, if they're going to be this good offensively, they've got to do a better job on the offensive line. There's no question about it. And you heard what Samini had to say. I mean, we don't know what haul you're going to get coming back. So while he was dynamic before the injury, uh, they need more help in the running back situation coming back this season. More of your calls next on 98.7 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Right. We'll have Fairleigh Dickinson against Florida Atlantic. Toby Anderson and his Knights battling against Florida Atlantic in the 16 against the 9 seed. So that's going to be interesting. Back to the phones we go. 1-800-919-3776. Richardson, Manhattan. What's up, Richard? Hi, Larry. You know, Larry, I listen to the people call up. They say, oh, I'm not watching the NBA, this and that. They don't like that. I'll give you something that will make you realize how great NBA basketball is. Last night, 200 players took to the court, the NBA, 200 players. Do you know out of those 200 players, only five players, five out of 200, that's two and a half percent, shot 21 shots or more. That's how well the ball is distributed now. Mm. Their passing is great. The ball movement is better than ever. Yeah, a lot of it involves a three-point shot, but they're moving the ball. It's unbelievable the way they play basketball now. And I've seen it for 60 years, the brand of basketball. The only thing I miss, I miss defense, and I miss Mm -hmm. post-up game. But aside from that, the way the game is – and you can't be selfish. Coach will take you right out. So the game is better now than I've ever seen it. It's so great. Larry, let me ask you this. The Knicks are 42 and 30. Mm-hmm. If they go 8 and 2, all right? Yes. So they end up 50 and 32. Is Tom Thibodeau coach of the year? No. No? No. <laughs> it's going to be Mike Brown because of what he's done with Sacramento, who hasn't been in the playoffs since I mean, okay. Vladdy Divac was playing. But Thibodeau's <laughs> got to get some votes. Well, he'll get some votes. He'll get yeah. some votes, but, but he won't make it this Let me give you this, Larry. Mm-hmm. All right, you, you got Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid. They have to finish one, two, three in any order you want. It doesn't matter. Right. But, but you know who my undisputed number four would be? And this is coming out of nowhere, but just figure, uh, just take a guess who I think is number four. Uh, you're going to tell me Jalen Brunson? No. Who? No. Sabonis on Sacramento. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that. that. Guy, he is just a step below Jokic. Mm-hmm. That guy is great. Pa- he does almost everything. Yeah. Uh, Larry, this thing with Patino. Now, yeah. of course, I've been there for all three. I was there with uh, Digger Phelps in 71. Mm-hmm. I was there in 78 with Valvano. 
The only thing about this in 2023 is if Patino stays in New York and goes to St. John's. If he goes somewhere else other than St. John's. And I hope he doesn't. I hope he stays at Iona. They mm-hmm. were the only ones that gave him a chance, right? right. If St. John's right. would have loved him, they would have given him the chance. I hope that means something to him, I, in my opinion. But it won't be too bad, in my opinion, as long as he stays in New York and stays at St. John's. But I pray to God that he stays at Iona. That's how I feel about that. Larry, about did you read Phil Mushnick's article in the uh, Post today about that? I did not get to it yet. Oh, you no. got to see it. Okay. He wrote about the uh, past uh, great athletes at Fairleigh Dickinson. And he mm. brought up a name I've forgotten about. Do you remember the high jumper, five foot eight Franklin Jacobs? Yes, I do. Yeah, yes, I that do. Team up the guy set world records in the mid to late seventies. He was fantastic, five foot eight, and he was high jumping seven four, seven five. He won the Milrose Games. Oh, that he brought that name up. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Larry, let me last last leave you with this. Mm-hmm. The NCA tournament is foolproof. They are sitting on a gold mine. I'm telling college basketball, you and I know, is not like the heyday in the late 70s, the 80s, and the early 90s. After that, it's changed. But right. in those days, the Big East, you had schools with four-year players. You knew who they were. And, you know, the NCAA tournament, even though the great teams always won, there were upsets along the way. Now it's such a crapshoot. You don't know the players. You don't know the coaches. The old guys have all left. But one thing that stays the same, the seeding and the upsets. And yeah. I'm telling you, I'm getting a kick out of it. I don't know any of the players, but seeing Princeton, seeing Fairleigh Dickinson, mm-hmm. seeing Atlantic uh, Coastal, uh, Florida Coastal. I mean, these are schools' names you never heard of in the old days. We're getting to this far. So it's really, I'm telling you, it's foolproof. You know, the, the, the pro football playoffs, all right, they've been good. And the Super Bowl was superb. But mm-hmm. there's no guarantee the right. one thing you can – and the baseball playoffs, look at the Yankees in Houston. That was a – that was forget it. That was a disaster. But the yeah. one thing you can always guarantee is the NCAA tournament. Man, they're sitting on, on a gold mine, and every year it, it gets better and better. I think it's even going to get better because there's more ter- more kids come out and leave early, and the dominating schools don't dominate anymore, and you're seeing upsets. It's fantastic. Larry, always a pleasure. Thank you. It is, Richard. Thanks for the phone call. That That's what makes the, the- – tournament so good and there's always discussions about who should be and why are they not there and why are they seated here and whatnot but you know listen uh, uh a 16 beating a one was so rare before you've hardly ever heard of a 16 beating a one hardly ever but as richard mentioned because of the fact that players don't stay and i mean look at this give you an example and you know you folks know i'm a tar heel guy North Carolina. Have I mentioned the Tar Heels this year hardly at all? Because what happened, this was a team that was fighting for the NCAA championship last year. This year, they don't even make the tournament. Okay? it's it's There's no carryover from one year to the next for so many of these for so many of these teams because players leave. They move on. As Richard mentioned, they don't stay. So it's hard for you to have that continuity. Okay? And how that chemistry continues to work. So it, it, he's right. It is good. The other thing, too, I would say, Richard, is there are some teams who don't pass the ball. Let, let's, let's be clear about that. There, there's a lot of teams that do. You're right. But there's a lot of teams in the NBA that don't pass the ball. But I will say this. The influence that Golden State has had on the game, the way they move and cut with their offense, 
with Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and Steph Curry and, and company. Okay, with the way they move and cut and slash and how they do back cuts and all the, all the movement that they have and the fact that they've won championships playing that way, every league is a copycat league when you win. I don't care whether it's NHL, NBA, MLB, every league, every professional league is a, a, is a copycat league when you win. And yes, you may not have the shooters like a Steph Curry. I mean, who does? And you're fortunate to have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson on the same team. But when you're able to move and cut and make things difficult, that's part of the reason why the defenses are so bad because you're leaving open wide shooters at three. The other thing is that people are coming down the court in something, Richard, they would never do back in the day, and that is to come down with nobody on the break and pull up for three. I mean, Hubie Brown with the Knicks with Bernard King would have sat people down <laughs> if they had come down and pulled up for three on the break. <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance would they have continued to play. We'll take more of your calls on 9870 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.